If you're a big city and you're not testing out the technology, you're way behind the curve. Cities like LA have already made commitments to make this transition. New York City's indicated they want to head that way, haven't put a time frame on it. Chicago has bought some buses. Washington, D.C. has bought some buses. So, yeah, if you're a city that is waiting for others to lead, you're a follower. And that's not a good place to be when it comes to air quality. Welcome to the Got Science Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. So today's topic is really cool. We're talking about electric buses, and I'm hoping they catch on in a big way, so I no longer have to breathe nasty exhaust while I'm riding my bike in the city. I did do a little digging around to see if there are electric buses in the plan for Boston. I'll tell you what I found out and how I found it out after the interview. We also have an installment of This Week in Science History with Katie Love. If you've ever visited San Francisco and taken a ride on one of the city's famous cable cars, you've enjoyed some electric-powered California public transportation. Get ready for more, says my colleague Jimmy O'Day, a senior vehicles analyst at the Union of Concerned Scientists. Electric buses are coming to San Francisco, Los Angeles, and other Golden State cities. And these aren't your grandma's trolleys. These battery-powered buses are going to replace diesel buses in L.A. and beyond in the years ahead. And this will mean lower emissions, better respiratory health, and cleaner, more equitable public transportation. Jimmy joined our correspondent, Abby Figueroa, to discuss the changes Californians and others will see in public transit, the health benefits of clean transportation, which country already has hundreds of thousands of electric buses getting people where they need to go, and why an electric bus is truly the people's bus. Over to you, Abby. Thanks, Colleen. So we're here with uh, Jimmy O'Day at the Union of Concerned Scientists office in Oakland. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Good, Abby. How are you? Pretty good. I'm excited to be talking to you today. We're going to be talking about electric buses. I hear you're quite the expert on them. Thank you. <laughs> so why don't we just start at the beginning? Tell me, how long have electric buses been on the road? I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen one. Well, it depends on where you live. The modern electric bus has been on the road since about 2010. And that kind of parallels the electric cars that we see on the road. They've been on the road since about 2010, the Nissan Leaf, the Tesla. We can go back a lot further, and we've had electric trolley buses on the road for a long time, since the late 1800s. Out here in California, we've had electric trolley buses in San Francisco since the 1930s, and L.A. even earlier, 1910s. So we've had electric buses around for a long time, but they've only begun to catch on in a lot of big cities recently, it sounds like. A lot of cities are making a transition to the new kind of electric buses that have the battery pack on board. That, so that's different than the electric trolley buses that have the overhead mm. uh, wires that people might see if they're in San Francisco or, or Seattle. Electric battery buses are, are picking up uh, in great proportions of late. Transit agencies like LA Metro, uh, they're the second largest transit agency in the United States. They're gonna transition their entire bus fleet to uh, zero emission buses by 2030. Wow. So you said L.A. and Seattle. So that's two big West Coast cities. Are there any other places in the U.S. that are adopting or interested in these electric buses? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everywhere from Asheville to Nashville, 
uh, Jacksonville, Greenville, South Carolina. Electric buses are really being tested out and deployed in big and small cities across the country. Now, I live here in the city in Oakland, and when I think about a bus, I think about all the times I've been stuck behind a bus with the windows rolled down on my car, or maybe on a bike, or walking, and big fumes coming out of that bus, toxic, stinky fumes coming out of the tailpipe. Um, electric buses wouldn't have that, right? No so tailpipe emissions. This mm -hmm. is one of the major selling points. So, no air pollution? No air pollution at the tailpipe of the vehicle, of course. If you're generating electricity to power a bus, there's emissions associated with generating that electricity. Or if you're fueling it with hydrogen, there's emissions associated with a hydrogen producer or fuel cell bus. But at the tailpipe, there's zero emissions. So if a typical combustion engine bus or a diesel bus would be polluting, what kinds of things would we not be experiencing from an electric bus? The two main pollutants that we avoid with an electric bus are particulate matter. And particulate matter is kind of like what it sounds like. It's these small particles, the, the soot-looking particles that you see coming out of a, a tailpipe of a diesel bus. These are small particles. They get into your lungs uh, and really wreak havoc on a lot of different parts of our body. Uh, the other major pollutant that comes out of these vehicles is NOx pollution. NOx is a precursor to ozone, so when you hear the air quality report, you know, in your, your local news station, and they're talking about ozone pollution. NOx is what forms ozone. And so... Uh, it, does NOx mean nauseous? NOx? Or <laughs> no. what does NOx stand for? Uh, N-O-X. And so it's uh, nitrogen oxides. Okay. And the X is just to d distinguish that it could be uh, one oxygen or two oxygens. Okay. Nitrogen oxide then is um, one of the things that's creating ozone, yeah. which is a pollutant. Exactly. And so ozone, also known as smog, damages many parts of people's bodies. Broadly, everything from premature birth to premature death have been associated or linked to both these types of pollutants. So eliminating them is uh, a huge win for public health. So just on the pollution benefits alone, electric buses sound great. Absolutely. Great improvement to the city life. Are there any other benefits to electric buses? The other main one is if, uh, global warming emissions. So uh, a battery electric bus on the average grid in the United States has significantly lower emissions than both diesel and natural gas buses. Uh, so compared to diesel, a diesel bus um, compared to the national average grid today has 2.5 times more global warming emissions than a battery electric bus. Wow, so that's a big improvement that's as well. That's a huge improvement. If these buses are running on batteries and they don't have global warming pollution, but those batteries, I mean, these must be really big batteries. This is not like a little electric vehicle. You need a lot of power to move that bus around and to be running all day. So those batteries exist then? Yeah, so it's really just the same batteries you have in a car, but just more of them. So nothing in particular that's unique about them compared to what's you know driving around in a Chevy Bolt or a Tesla or whatnot. And those batteries are strong enough then to go up and down hills and you don't need to stop and charge them while we have bus passengers on the bus, do you? No, absolutely not. These batteries, uh, the buses have ranges today of several hundred miles, depending on the route and depending on how many batteries you put on the bus, um, that can handle the loads of um, most every route out there. There are some buses that do do this fast charge where they will stop and, and charge for five minutes. And, and those buses have fewer batteries on them. 
And so it just depends on the transit agency, which strategy they want to take. So there aren't a whole lot of buses, though, on the road. So, it, I mean, how if, if we were to electrify all of our buses, we, we know there would be air pollution benefits. But since there aren't a whole lot compared to how many cars there are on the road, what kind of impact will they really have on climate? Yeah, so it'll have a big impact. Um, I mean, this is all every little bit helps, so to speak, just as one person purchasing an electric car won't have a big difference. One transit agency converting over to electric buses won't have a huge difference, but taken in the entirety as a sum, it all adds up. Well, that does sound like a huge benefit for everyone for a really wide segment of the population. Um, Can you think of any disadvantages of electric buses in the communities that might want to adopt them? No. Electric buses have, you know, zero tailpipe emissions, far better for the climate, total cost of ownership. They're competitive, if not lower, than traditional fossil fuel buses. So, you know, with any new technology, there's a learning curve to adopting, you know, new technology. You know, you see some operators at transit agencies are skeptical of the new technology, just like they were skeptical 30 years ago of natural gas buses when agencies were making a transition from diesel to natural gas. So, you know, Really, no. You know, any new technology, there's going to be a learning curve. Critics, you know, I guess the fossil fuel, the natural gas industry has latched on to some of the early bumps that some of the electric buses have experienced. But um, to me, no. This is all stuff that's going to be overcome, already is overcome. There's hundreds of these buses on the road in the U.S., thousands, hundreds of thousands overseas. The technology's here. It's ready. It's interesting that you mentioned natural gas because I do remember years ago when um, a lot of the buses were switching over to natural gas it was there was signs on the buses that would say you know that it's a cleaner fuel so how do electric buses actually match up to natural gas buses which we know those are cleaner than diesel yeah are are they that much better is it really worth it yeah so compared to diesel you know natural gas has lower emissions of particulate matter and NOx but compared to diesel from a climate change perspective Natural gas offers really little to no benefits, pretty similar emissions, climate emissions as as diesel. And that all depends on what the amount of natural gas leaks are in the pipeline. Small increases in leaks and natural gas is uh, actually much worse than diesel. Uh, So those brandings of, you know, clean vehicles on these natural gas buses is actually false advertising these days when we have electric buses that are significantly cleaner. Across the country, an electric bus, the climate emissions range from about 20% to as much as 85% lower than a natural gas bus. Uh, the natural average is about 50% lower. So that's the climate. So significant, significant benefits on climate. And then, of course, uh, zero tailpipe emissions from electric uh, buses. So really, electric is, is the best technology. And you know, we're going to see a lot of transit agencies make that transition. And buses, you know, since they're they're bigger vehicles, they have a lot more pollutants per mile than than a car does, uh, on the order of a couple hundred times when you're talking about air pollutants. So there'll be significant benefits right away from just the air quality perspective. But thinking broadly, a heavy bus is pretty similar to a truck in a lot of ways. Heavy duty vehicles, a lot of the the supply chain parts will be similar, and Electric buses can be a precursor to a, a broader transformation and transition to electric trucks in, in getting the industry uh, going. And 
So what you're saying is that if we can electrify buses, that means we can electrify trucks. Absolutely, it's, it's a great place to start. And other similarities are, you know, a transit bus follows, you know, a fixed route. They go home depot at a, a common garage at night. And this is a similarity that a lot of fleet trucks have. They might not follow the exact same route every day, but they operate in, you know, a similar region and they go back to a home base at night. And so there's similar logistics that these fleets share between transit buses and other fleets. So I, I guess you're talking about things like garbage trucks or moving vans or, or moving delivery trucks, trucks, delivery trucks. So can you imagine a day where, where we'll see all of these big trucks, at least inside the city, electrified as well as buses? Absolutely. I, you walk down a city street, downtown Oakland, and just about every truck you see in an urban environment can be electrified. Um, it'll take a little bit of time to get there, but most of these trucks are operating less than 100 miles a day, which is well within today's range of battery technology. And it's really just a matter of getting these trucks on the road. Uh, prices will come down as, as more trucks are deployed um, and the air will get, get cleaner. We'll be back with the second half of our interview in a moment. Got Science is brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. Learn more at gotsciencepodcast.org. Now let's get back to our interview. So what you're saying is that all these really exciting changes are coming to, to cities all across the U.S. We've mentioned Asheville, Nashville, Seattle, L.A., that we might be seeing electric buses and electric trucks in the cities soon enough. So does that mean that the U.S. is a leader? Unfortunately not. Kudos to all the cities that have made the progress that they've made. But the United States is actually a laggard in a lot of the electric uh, technology. The world leader is really China. There today are several hundred thousand electric buses already deployed in China. For comparison, the United States has total buses, diesel, natural gas, everything, about 70,000. So A, for one, there's a lot more buses in China to begin with. But two, they are light years ahead of us in terms of electrifying, not just buses, electric trucks. They've obviously had air quality issues in China and they're going after it in a big way. So we have some catching up to do is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. Are there cities here in the U.S. that have not made commitments to electrifying buses where they should? They're just obvious candidates for it? If you're a big city and you're not testing out the technology, you're way behind the curve. Cities like L.A. have already made commitments to make this transition by 2030. That's a really admirable uh, commitment. New York City's indicated they want to head that way, haven't put a time frame on it. Chicago has bought some buses. Washington, D.C. has bought some buses. It'd be great if these cities make commitments and really show their leadership on this technology. So, yeah, if you're a city that is waiting for others to, to lead, you're a follower. And that's not a good place to be when it comes to air quality. That's, that's really important to say. Now, what about here in California? I mean, typically folks look at California for the most progressive climate solutions and climate actions. Is this where we're seeing a lot of um, movement on electric buses? Yeah, within the U.S., California is absolutely a leader. There's over 100 electric buses already on the road today in California, and we've had leadership from transit agencies going back to the early 2000s. Just here in Oakland, 
our local transit agency, AC Transit, has been operating hydrogen fuel cell buses since 2005. And these buses are great when they drive by and you're standing on a corner, you don't smell them. They're, they're quiet, uh, they're really enjoyable to ride. So California has certainly been a leader. The state is on its way to transitioning to a all zero emission bus fleet by 2040. There's a, a vote on this, the Air Resources Board coming up in September. And this will further solidify, if it passes, California's leadership in this area. And, and if it passes, then that could be an example for other states possibly to Absolutely. Follow. And it's, it sends a signal to the manufacturers that, you know, if you're making diesel or natural gas buses today, you need to start shifting your resources towards electric. And if you're a company that only makes electric buses, it indicates that you're going to have business for the next, you know, at least in California, in the foreseeable future. One of the things I think that is so attractive to me about electric buses is that, you know, as I'm someone who doesn't drive much, um, lives in an apartment, doesn't have a place to plug in an electric vehicle if, if I was going to buy a new car. So riding an electric bus is a way that I can be part of this electric vehicle transformation. Yeah, electric buses are the people's electric vehicle. They're, for the, every reason you just said, that not everyone's at a place to be purchasing a brand new car, let alone a brand new electric car. And, you know, public transit is, you know, the people's vehicle and electric buses can be the people's electric vehicle. And, you know, as a rider, you benefit from, you know, the same, you know, benefits as a, a driver of an electric vehicle. It's, it's a quiet ride. It's a really comfortable ride. You're not breathing in fumes from your own vehicle. Um, so there's a, a huge, a huge benefit for, for everyone. Well, I'm on board. So how do we get more of these electric buses in our local cities? What do we have to do? Who do we have to call and write to? Yeah, so we need leaders of transit agencies to step up to the plate. You know, this is what we've seen in Los Angeles and Seattle, that their transit boards have, have made bold commitments and are, are leading the way. And so if you know you're, you live in a city and you're transit agency hasn't been doing something on this, you know, show up to the next transit agency meeting. These are public uh, agencies and they have public meetings and get up to the public comment period and make a two minute statement saying your community deserves electric buses just as much as the next one. Um, and you know, that's a lot of the progress we've seen in communities that are making progress is because people have stepped up to the podium to make these asks of their elected leaders. They're cleaner, they are better for the environment, they are better for the air we breathe. Now, are they less expensive? Yeah, so the cost is always a, a question that comes up. An electric bus on the total cost of ownership basis is cost competitive, if not cheaper, than a diesel or natural gas bus. And so there's a lot of caveats to depending on your electricity rate for where you are um, and you know how many miles the bus drives and uh, what the route is and these sorts of things that make the cost calculations different for every transit agency and whatnot. Um, but the total cost of ownership, which is really the bottom line, is looking pretty favorable for electric buses today. And we've seen trends that electric vehicles as a whole are getting much cheaper every year uh, with declining battery costs. Um, and so the, while the purchase price of an electric bus is, is still higher than a diesel or natural gas bus, the total cost of ownership is there, if not better. So, and over time, they should be getting cheaper to purchase and cheaper to operate then, yeah. as it's cheaper to um, fuel them with electricity that's coming 
from renewable sources. Exactly. So electricity, you know, there's certain things that uh, utilities need to also start thinking about these large electric vehicles coming onto their their grid, and they haven't traditionally designed electricity rates with these vehicles in mind. So just like many utilities are offering electricity rates for electric cars specific to those vehicles, we need to see that for heavy-duty electric vehicles to account for something that the utilities didn't have on their radar when those rates were designed. Well, this sounds pretty intense, but exciting. I'm glad to know that people like you are working on this really important issue. So one more question, Jimmy, just to wrap it up. Have you ridden an electric bus before? What yeah, was it like? I have. I've, I've logged actually over 100 miles on an electric bus. They're incredibly fun to ride. Um, I was lucky enough I got to take one from the downtown LA area out to Lancaster, California as, as part of a, a tour and got to ride this bus through LA traffic. We, we started, you know, near the beach and you know, got on the highway, you know, of course, you know, famous LA traffic, stop and go highway. Um, and then, you know, up over a fairly decent highway grade, past a couple diesel trucks uh, up the grade. You were going faster than the trucks. Faster than the trucks. And, you know, awesome. this is always like a, a myth that people have, oh, electric vehicles, you know, can't perform or whatnot. They're, they're actually, that's, it's totally the opposite. Electric vehicles have advantages over diesel and natural gas in terms of acceleration and whatnot. So the bus, we, we drove 75 miles one way, bus charged while we did this tour, and then it drove back another 75 miles. And so the bus itself, it started at the factory and, and drove home. So it had done 300 miles in one day itself. It charged only during the tour, which was you know maybe three hours total, and was a quiet ride. You could have conversation the whole time. And, you know, you don't get the the fumes, you know, when you're sitting in the back of the bus coming in, um, when the doors open, when you're standing on the, on the corner and one of these buses rolls past, whether you're you know, just waiting for the bus, uh, crossing the street, or you know, on your bicycle, you don't get those the tailpipe emissions that really clog up roadways. So the more of these we get on the road, the better for sure. And we're seeing a lot of progress in that direction. Yeah, totally enjoyable. So 100 miles, that was good for you, good for the air, and good for the environment. Exactly. Sounds terrific. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. You're welcome, Abby. Absolutely. And now it's back to you, Colleen. Hey, everyone. As I was reviewing this interview and thinking about electric buses, I got excited about the idea of having a fleet of electric buses here in Boston. Jimmy mentioned in the interview that going to your transit agency, literally showing up at a public meeting to make a statement advocating for electric buses was one thing that you could do. So I did what most people do these days and I googled Massachusetts transit public meeting, but none of these web pages said anything at all about electric buses. So I decided to take the easy route. I asked my colleague, Dan Gaddy, to come over and give me some advice. Dan's a policy analyst in our clean vehicles program. He's all about reducing oil consumption and increasing access to clean cars in the Northeast. So Dan, thanks for popping over. Thank you very much, Helene. Uh, it's great uh, to be a part of the podcast. Tell me first off, what's going on in Massachusetts and is there a plan for electric buses in Boston's future? Yeah, so I think in general, Massachusetts is making progress. The MBTA did recently purchase five electric buses for the Silver Line. That's obviously progress. But in terms of you know really being able to, to take on the, the whole sector, 
Um, you know, I think we are running a little bit behind. Electric buses are more expensive than diesel buses. That's the, the primary challenge that we need to overcome. So it seems like in Massachusetts, particularly with the MBTA, that funding might be the main issue more so than the will of the people wanting to have electric buses. Yes, I think that's definitely the case. Um, these vehicles are more expensive than their diesel equivalents. They will save money in the long term, but they require an upfront investment. Do you have a sense of how long it would take to get, say, a regional program in place? Yeah, we're working on it. We think that we could get an agreement between states in the Northeast to implement a program like this, potentially by the end of the year. And actually, this fall will be a great time for people to weigh in with policy leaders here in Massachusetts and in other Northeast states, saying that we do want more clean transportation solutions in the region. Um, And so that would just be the first step. It would still take probably another year or two before we start seeing real money flowing from that. But we we see that as the next really big advance in clean transportation policy in the region. That's not really fast enough for me personally, (laughs) because I sit behind buses spewing horrible exhaust when I'm on my bike, and I really hate that. But it's good to hear that there's something in the works. There are some near-term things that are happening, too, before we get this full policy up front. The Volkswagen money just came through for the state. That's money that the state is receiving uh, as part of a settlement with Volkswagen that involves the way they cheated on their diesel emission standards. The state has prioritized electric buses in, in their plan to spend Volkswagen funds. The first round of VW money will help Springfield and Martha's Vineyard a little bit more than the MBTA, um, but it's another source of funding that's happening out there. Springfield was recently uh, found to be the worst city in the country for people living with asthma, so the emissions reductions really matter a lot to human health. In terms of how we're going to be able to use the funds from like a clean transportation fund, that hasn't been decided yet, but we as UCS and other organizations will be pushing hard for electric buses to be high on the list of uh, projects uh, to be funded. Well, Dan, I'm really happy to hear that. And I'm assuming when the comment period comes up, we'll be providing information about how people can plug in their comments. Absolutely. And if people want to take a step right now, the MBTA has their Focus 40 plan to plan out MBTA investments between now and 2040. Comments on that. If you look at, if you look up MBTA uh, Focus Forty, you'll be able to to get to, uh, see where the comments are. Comments are due on September twenty first. So if you want to weigh in, you don't need to understand the details, but just having state officials here that electric buses should be high on the MBTA's agenda, I think, would send a powerful statement to the agencies. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much. And now it's time for this week in science history with Katie Love. This week in science history, we're looking back on September 4th, 1882, when the first central electric station to supply light and power started generating electricity. Thanks to the increasing popularity of his incandescent light bulb, Thomas Edison was looking to fill the demand for power by creating a system of commercial lighting and power. The Pearl Street Station in Lower Manhattan was the first centralized commercial power plant in the United States and ushered in the transition from gas-powered lighting to electric. And while we've moved beyond Edison's incandescent light bulb to more efficient CFL and LED bulbs, 
We're still mostly bound to the electricity grid that's based on the model of centralized power stations supplying electricity to large numbers of customers. Or are we? One of the downsides of centralized power is that when the power fails, the lights stay out until the grid gets fixed. That's why more and more communities are turning to microgrids to buttress their electricity needs, enabling them to keep the power on even if the grid shuts off. What is a microgrid? It's a localized power system that can function independent from the main electricity grid. They act as a resilient and potentially renewable energy source, providing power when it matters the most. Think of a community center using solar power and batteries so that residents have a safe place to retreat if a hurricane knocks out power in the community. Or rural, isolated communities, such as in Kodiak, Alaska, who use abundant wind and hydro resources to provide more than 99.7% of their energy, as well as using a unique flywheel battery to mechanically store excess energy until it's needed. Microgrids are supporting military installations and first responders, schools and hospitals, emergency shelters and wastewater treatment plants. They keep gasoline stations pumping along evacuation routes and experiments running in labs. They serve individuals. They serve critical facilities. They serve communities. It's a pathway to resilience. Power to the people, by the people, starting from the ground up. Well, that's it for this episode of Got Science. Special thanks to Dr. Jimmy O'Day and vehicles analyst Dan Gaddy. Our correspondent is Abby Figueroa. This Week in Science History was brought to you by Katie Love. Editing by Omari Spears. Music by Brian Middleton. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes, and I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. Thanks, and see you next time.